To the ancient Hebrew mind, everything in life was measured in relationship to God. It concentrated on the Lord as the one meaning of all experience of what is and can be, and saw everything in terms of God's sovereignty and freedom. If someone suffered a malady or illness, then that person's spiritual health was affected and called into question by asking what wrong was done to bring this about. We hear a similar question from the disciples of Jesus when they encounter a blind man whom Jesus later heals. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus corrects their assumption behind their question as inadequate and replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In the opening lines of Psalm 6, this same implied question is in the mind of the psalmist as to what may be the cause of his predicament and the disconnect he feels in relationship with God. The language of this prayer describes a person whose life is threatened, most likely by a serious illness. Both body and life are in acute pain. Physical vigor and stamina wanes. Groaning and grief have led to an outpouring of sighs and tears. Death is an imminent probability. So rather than address what may be the cause of his condition, the psalmist pushes past such consideration and petitions God for help. In effect, he prays, God, do not rebuke me or discipline me. I am too desperate, too weak, and too much in need in this very moment. Instead of considering his condition as some faith lesson or as something he must do, he relies totally on God to heal and deliver him. From a place of suffering and lament, the author voices his sorrow to God as his only hope. As we hear Psalm 6 read for us by Pat Cuneo, we will hear many of the characteristic features of a lament. There is an address to God as a cry for help, a description of the problem in the form of a complaint, a confession of trust and confidence in God in spite of the problematic situation, a petition or appeal to God to intervene, and words of assurance that the psalmist's prayer will be heard. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 6, taken from the New Revised Standard Version. Listen. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are shaking with terror. My soul also is struck with terror, while you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, save my life. Deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Shoal, who can give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. 
My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and struck with terror. They shall turn back and in a moment be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. I was a serious student in college and would never think of missing class. But one particular day, I spent the whole morning in bed, grieving the end of a romantic relationship. The day before, the person I had expressed my interest in and love for let me know that she no longer felt the same way. So she chose to end our relationship. Hearing those words hurt. As I woke up the next day, I felt like nothing else in my life mattered. As I lay in bed crying, I tried to pray, but my feelings of pain and sorrow kept me from forming any words. And then I heard the Spirit of God say, tell me what you're feeling. I thought, how ridiculous, you couldn't possibly understand. But after a while, I made an effort to communicate what I was feeling. I said, I've put myself out there, offering my love for this person, and she has not loved me in return. So I feel rejected and unwanted. There was silence, and then eventually this reply. You've taken a risk by giving yourself to someone. You've been vulnerable. You've extended your arms in love, and that person has walked away, making it clear she is not interested, doesn't need you, doesn't want you. Now you are wounded. Is that it? Again, there was silence, followed by more tears. Somewhat embarrassed, I said, oh, I guess you do understand. And then I realized every day Jesus offers his life in love and at great risk, only to have someone turn away and reject him by saying, I don't need you, I don't want you, and he is crucified yet again. In that moment, I knew God heard my cry for help and understood my experience even more than I did. Yet I still agonized over my hurt. My feelings didn't go away, but I knew I would be able to move beyond them and the loss and pain of that, of that moment. Already my healing and restoration was underway. When life is disrupted, disrupted by loss, illness, or external threats, prayer becomes an act of trust and faith in God. This psalm and others like it help bring us to God when we're not sure how to pray or what to say. We can identify with the psalmist's feelings of being disoriented and confused, causing us to wonder why this has happened and why me? Our reaction may imply we want answers, but more important than knowing why 
is our need to simply be out from under the weight of the experience and to be fixed. When we're not sure what to pray, a good exercise is to simply describe what we are feeling. That in itself is an act of faith. The psalmist says to God, I am languishing. My bones are shaking with fear and terror has stricken my soul. If we do not feel the setting is safe or that we're in the presence of a caring person, most of us are reluctant to share what we are feeling. The extent to which this psalmist trusts God is evidenced by the fact that his request for help even takes on the form of a complaint. I'm struggling here. What about you, Lord? How long will I have to wait for you to do something? One commentator describes this awkwardly translated verse as a cry in which hope and doubt contend with each other. Verbalizing our emotions helps us process what we're going through. Giving voice to what we feel helps identify our emotions and our ability to accurately assess our experience. Otherwise, we may stuff our emotions inside or allow them to tumble around in a way that distorts what is true. What is true about ourselves, our life, and God. Sometimes we can't verbalize our cry for help because we get stuck in supposing God did this and must have brought this on, must have brought this on me for a reason. So how do I trust God now? We then either find fault with God and become angry or choose not to pray at all. Or we might begin to wonder, what have I done to deserve this? And suppose God is disappointed with us in some way or trying to punish us. The prayer of this psalm is helpful. The author does not appeal to God for help on the basis of her innocence. She knows God is her only hope which God is the only hope which is left to her, and therefore she makes her appeal on the basis of God's grace and mercy. She knows that God's characteristic of doing the best for those who trust in and depend on the Lord is more consistent and stronger than God's way of letting people suffer the consequences of what they choose to be or do. This psalm helps us get past misleading detours of blame or explanation. Rather than speculate, the psalmist asks for mercy. Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, but be gracious to me, Lord. Faith knows better than, than to project onto God our own insecurities. We may be tempted to bring God down to our level and have an immediate explanation for why we suffer, but faith won't allow it. It lifts us above this limited level and helps us remember who God is and why we call upon God in difficult times. God is consistent and never changes. It is important we know God's true character and nature when we are distressed and find ourselves in a world of hurt. God accepts us as we are and where we are, 
and meets us in our time of need. As a pastor, I have observed how the intensity of loss, pain, and sorrow for some causes them to feel abandoned or ignored by God, and they become closed in from, from all outside input. Someone spoke of this recently in one of our breakout sessions as part of our interactive worship that occurs at 10 a.m. She said how a person may feel nothing at all and become isolated and alone, lost in his or her relationship with God and everyone else. When someone goes through such a difficult period, it's critical that we as a community of faith reach out to them to express our love and concern and offer prayers of intercession for them to know and experience God's presence in their life. It is also why I'm so grateful and proud of the work Colleen Soldati and others, church leaders, uh, who offer ministries of care, uh, such as Stephen Ministry, Grief Share, Divorce Care, and Caregiver Support Group. Being stuck or not knowing what to say to God is not this psalmist's problem. She's able to be quite descriptive of her situation and direct in her appeal to God for intervention. Lord, turn, save me, deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love. I'm counting on you. She describes in detail what her waiting has been like. I am weary of moaning and wrung out from crying. Tears drench my bed at night. Tears soak my couch during the day. My eyes are fatigued with grief. I am wasting away due to my foes. The repeated petitions are made more urgent by the prospect of impending death. If I die, there is no more remembering you or praising you. In effect, the psalmist is saying, this is what my enemies want for me. Is this what you want, Lord? What is at stake is not only the psalmist, but God himself and the manifestation of God's steadfast love. The first part of the psalm alternates between lamentations and petitions. The second part is characterized by an assurance that the psalmist's prayer has been answered, which fills his heart with new strength and hope. The Lord has heard my weeping, my supplications, has accepted my prayers. The sure knowledge that his prayer has been answered is not something which he can work out for himself. It is a gift from God. Fear and despondency give way to a new zest for life and a God-given assurance of faith. Compressed in these 10 verses, the personal pronoun I, me, or my occurs 23 times, compared with God who is addressed 13 times, and the reference to foes or enemies which occurs four times. As Eugene Peterson points out, the Psalms are full of unsettling enemy talk. And while we Christians may be uncomfortable with such language, Peterson rightly contends that enemies, especially for those who live by faith, 
are a fact of life. The psalmist addresses enemies with a single exhortation, depart. The tables are now turned. He says, my enemies shall be struck with terror. They shall turn back and be put to shame. We're not given any indication as to the identity or nature of the enemy, nor the circumstance of their threat. Some suggest the enemy in this psalm should be taken figuratively or as a metaphor, referring to the psalmist's illness or malady. While this notion supports the description of a prolonged lingering threat of mental anguish and emotional drain, such a personification of illness is difficult to reconcile the closing lines of the psalm. How do we make sense of the terror once felt by the psalmist and shame now being transferred to the illness itself? Another way to interpret the enemies in this prayer is to see them as tormentors, people who may have given up the patient for dead or reckoned him deserving of his misfortune or possibly waiting to profit in some way from his demise. They have added to his distress and agony. His healing and return to life will now shame their hostility and expose their treachery. When a crisis comes or situations arise when little is certain, turning to God in prayer is instinctive. Rather than bracket God out of our lives, prayer petitions God's help. Such experiences like a serious illness force us to face our finitude and fallibility. It can also be a time for reflection, repentance, and a summons to depend on God through prayer. We may prefer to draw our meaning for faith only in positive experiences that can be, can, that can be interpreted as the blessings of God's favor. But the Psalms remind us that the God of the Bible engages us through personal experiences of pain, loss, and sorrow. Times when we must depend on and learn to cherish God's steadfast love, grace, and mercy. So be it. Amen.